this Advent, we're going to continue our study through Mark. Uh, so we'll have our Advent readings to begin our services. We'll sing the Advent songs, then we'll be still continuing to study the, the life and the ministry of Jesus who came uh, as a baby. And so that brings us to Mark chapter 4 this morning, the last portion. So if you'll pray with me, we'll pray and then we'll approach God's Word together. Father, we thank you for some time to spend around your Word this morning. We thank you for the account here in Mark. We thank you, uh, Holy Spirit, uh, for, for leading Mark to record the truth about Jesus. We thank you for the perspective that this gospel brings us. We thank you for all four of the gospels and the way they give us such a beautiful, full-orbed picture of our Savior. We pray that we'll be good, good students of these handful of verses this morning. We pray that you'll make us good students of your word. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. All right, so our text this morning is Mark chapter 4, verses 35 through 41. I'm going to read that for us. If you want to grab the Pew Bible tucked in the pew there in front of you, you can turn to page 839, and I'll read these six verses for us. On that day, so on the same day as Jesus finished preaching and teaching the parables uh, that he was preaching from the boat to the crowd that was gathered there on the shores of the Sea of Galilee, on that day, when evening had come, he said to them, to his followers, let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was, and other boats were with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat, so the boat was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they woke him and said to him, teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he awoke and rebuked the wind and sea. And said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. He said to them, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear, and said to one another, Who then is this, that even the wind and the sea obey him? So we come to this really well-known text uh, in the gospel accounts of Jesus uh, calming the storm uh, while they're at sea. And actually, this is one of the unique places where Mark actually gives us more detail than some of the other gospels. Usually Mark moves real quick, and here he tells us uh, a little bit more about the account, about the boats that were out there, and about the interaction with Jesus. And what I want to, a lot of times, we, and there's a lot of encouragement we can gather from um, this account about Jesus and the power of Jesus to calm storms, uh, and that is true, storms in our lives as well, for sure. But really, Jesus is using this as a teachable moment to talk about how his disciples, how his followers, how they respond to fear, uh, and whether or not their response to fear will be faith or the lack thereof. And so this is really a text about Jesus' disciples, like us, and how we respond when we experience fear. And so we're going to be talking about being afraid uh, and confronting uh, our fears this morning. There's a quote from uh, Rudyard Kipling, who wrote The Jungle Book. <clears throat> His quote goes like this. He says, of all the liars in the world, sometimes the worst are our own fears. Of all the liars in the world, sometimes the worst are our own fears. Uh, and we're going to talk about our fears and how Jesus shows us that our fears are liars. Uh, and yet they're li liars that we believe really quickly. And so we're going to talk about fear. We're going to talk about the lies that fear tells and how we can respond, how we can overcome those fears. But I want to set the stage a little bit before we jump into this. Uh, and just so you know, we have Jesus here on the Sea of Galilee in the evening heading across the sea. It's, it's, a, it's a large, large, large lake. 
Uh, and this particular lake, it's 628 feet below sea level. Uh, so it's very low, and it's surrounded by mountains and ravines. And so what it was known for was these, these storms that would come up so quickly because they would just funnel down the ravines, downhill, and then they would sweep across uh, this Sea of Galilee. And so it was known for its storms, but most of the time the storms would happen during the day, which is why most of the fishermen would fish at night, because the seas were usually calmer at night than they were during the day, just given the way the, the dynamics of that area worked. And I also want us to understand as we consider this account, um, this particular storm was a really bad storm because you had seasoned fishermen who truly are fearing for their lives. This wouldn't be the only storm they've ever seen, but this is a bad enough storm that they're concerned that they're going to perish. And then they find Jesus sleeping in the back. And there's you know, a couple things for us to note about this. Jesus really was sleeping because Jesus really was human, so Jesus really needed to sleep, and he had had a long day. And so he was exhausted. But more than that, Jesus was also not afraid. Jesus was exhausted and fearless, and so he was asleep. And the storm did not wake him, but his followers wake him. But because Jesus is asleep, his followers make a value judgment about him. They say, your sleep, Jesus, says something about you and it means that you're not as good as I thought you were. You don't care about us the way that we thought you did. And so they make a value judgment about Jesus because in the midst of their fear, they let their fears tell them a story. And that story tells them something about Jesus, but what it tells them about Jesus is a lie. So that's what we're gonna be looking at uh, this morning because Jesus then turns around and he calms that storm and the storm, and, they, and then immediately the disciples have a different fear that sits in on, on them. They were afraid of the, of the weather, and now there's a great fear that sets over them uh, because of Jesus' power. I love the way the Jesus Storybook Bible uh, recounts this, where Sally Lloyd-Jones says, Then Jesus turned to his wind-torn friends. Why were you scared, he asked. Did you forget who I am? Did you believe your fears instead of me? Jesus' friends were quiet, as quiet as the wind and the waves. And into their hearts came a different kind of storm. What kind of man is this? They asked themselves anxiously. Even the winds and the waves obey him. I love the way that Sally Lloyd-Jones phrases Jesus' question. Did you believe your fears instead of me? That's the question we're going to let Jesus ask us. Why are you so afraid? Did you believe your fears instead of me? So that's what we're going to look at together this morning, because we as Jesus' disciples, we all struggle with fear, and Jesus is calling us to respond to our fears with faith that leads to rest, so that we can sleep in the stern of the boat in the storm, just like Jesus, because we know that he has us and that we're safe. So we're going to look at it this way. We're going to talk about the context of our fears. We're going to talk about the impulse that comes from our fears. We're then going to spend a little bit of time confronting our fears, and then we're going to talk about overcoming our fears. And we're going to do that pretty quickly. So let's run through it. Let's run through it now. So the first thing we want to talk about here is the context of our fears. And so the context of our fears, you can find the context for the disciples here in verses 35 through 37. They're heading out. They're going across the other side of the Sea of Galilee. They leave the crowd behind. It's nighttime. They're in the boats. There's other boats with them. And while they're out there, a great windstorm arose, and there were waves breaking into the boat, so the boat was already filling. So the boat is taking on water, which is a concern. Uh, now, 
what we find here for the disciples is they look at their context and they're like, all right, this sea is known for its storms. This is a bad one. It's taking on, we're taking on water. We're out in the middle. We may not make it. So they're looking at their context and they're saying, all right, this is where we find ourselves. We find ourselves in what seems to be a sinking ship. Now, we do the same thing. You know, something happens in, in our lives and it demonstrates to us our finitude. It demonstrates to us that we are not God, that we don't have the control that we wish that we had. It makes us feel vulnerable. Anything that makes us feel vulnerable becomes a hated thing because we don't want to feel vulnerable. We want to feel powerful. And so when our power is shown to be a sham, then we are shown to be vulnerable and that breeds fear for us. Or sometimes we look at something and, and we realize, hey, hey, this thing of value, when I feel like it's at risk, it brings about fear inside of me. Whether it's my life, I feel like my life is at risk or my loved ones are at risk or my finances are at risk and it brings about that context elicits fear in me because it shows me how vulnerable I am. It shows me how finite I am. And honestly, like we look around the world and we know it's a dangerous place and it's a broken place. So if you're in a dangerous, broken place and you feel vulnerable, it kind of makes sense on one level that our natural impulse, our natural response is fear. Now there's a quote from Lottie Moon who's a, or who was a missionary to China in 1872 and she said this, she said, I have a firm conviction that I am immortal till my work is done. I have a firm conviction that I am immortal till my work is done, meaning that I'm not going to die until Jesus has done exactly what he's planning to do with me, and then I can go. And, and I'll be honest, like, that's an awesome quote that I rarely feel. Like, I don't feel that way very often. One of, uh, Hillary and I, one of our favorite movies is Black Hawk Down, and there's this scene, or there's multiple scenes in Black, Black Hawk Down where there is this, um, he, well, at this point, he's a retired lieutenant colonel, um, but this retired lieutenant colonel he is uh, the commander of the 3rd Battalion, the 75th Ranger Regiment, and it's the Battle of Mogadishu, and he is just fearless, and it shows him in this film just walking around as bullets are flying. We were talking about this. We were like, I don't know what it was really like in those streets, but if I was Danny McKnight, and that's how they represented me to America, I'd be like, I feel pretty good about that. Yeah, I feel pretty good about that. Walk around fearless when bullets are flying around. It's a beautiful picture of fearlessness. And it's just not how I feel very often. And it's definitely not how I feel when metaphorical bullets are flying. When I feel the most intense impulse towards fear, draw towards fear, I'm usually the least fearless, not the most fearless version of myself. And so as we think about what Jesus is calling our attention to this morning, like all of us experience fear, and no matter, like we talk about big fears and small fears, when, when you fear something, it just never feels small. So we might as well not even call about, talk about small fears. We just all have fears. And all of us wrestle with those fears, and so for us, the first question for us is like, what am I fearing? What do I fear? Like, what is it that, that makes me aware that I'm finite? What is it that makes me feel vulnerable? What is it that makes you feel vulnerable? What aspects of your life are the context in which you feel fear? A few of us are ever on uh, a body of water and, and a ship that's sinking. Few of us are walking through the streets of Mogadishu while bullets are flying. Like that's not our story, but we still have fears. And we have to be honest about our fears. We have to, we have to honestly, we have to name them on some level because Jesus is going to address every single one of our fears. But we have to be honest about what we fear. Is it 
Is it finances? Like, is that where your fears, is that where you feel the most vulnerable? Is how much money you have or have not saved at this point in your life? Is it your relational status? Is that where you feel the most fear? Is being single crushing you? Or is, is a hurt in your marriage, is a tension in your marriage, is that where you feel the most fear? Is it about your kids or your grandkids? Is that where you feel the most fear, the most vulnerability? Each of us wrestles with fear, and it does us no good to try and ignore it. It does us every bit of good to label it and to run to Jesus with it, which is what we're going to talk about in just a few minutes. But the first step for us is we've got to be honest about the context. We've got to be honest about the fear that we experience. And so I'd encourage you just to wrestle with what, what makes me feel finite, what makes me feel vulnerable, what am, I, what am I afraid of? Jesus is going to ask us, why are you so afraid? Let's just at least at first be honest about the fact that we are afraid and what we're afraid about. Now, the second thing I want us to look at is to talk about the impulse that comes from our fears. And we see this for the disciples in verse 38. Uh, Jesus was in the stern of this boat that's filling up with water. He's asleep on the cushion. And they woke him and said to him, teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? So fear gives, fear has, um, well, think of, it, think of it this way. Like the impulses from fear, when you fear, feel fear, if you're not a follower of Jesus, your natural impulses are going to be towards despair and anger. If you are a follower of Jesus, your natural impulses are going to be despair and anger and doubt. We add in a third component, and that component actually takes, takes the form of an accusation. Like for those of us who are supposedly trusting Jesus, whenever our context leads us to fear, we don't just despair and become angry, we also doubt the goodness of the woman that we were trusting. And that's what happens to the disciples here. They begin to doubt Jesus. And here's why, because fears are always telling us a story. Fears are telling us a narrative, and we believe it so quickly. Fear tells us what the future is going to be like, and we believe it. We let our fears tell us this narrative, but every narrative that fear tells us also is trying to teach us a lie about Jesus. When fear tells me the story, Jesus is never that good in the story. Jesus is never the hero of the story that fear is telling me. Never. And so every time I start believing the lie, the narrative that my fears are telling me, I'm actually believing lies about Jesus, about how much he cares about me that he does or does not even care about the inner workings of my life. And so these, these stories, these narratives that fear tells us, they fuel an impulse, and it's not an impulse to, to faith. It's, a, it's a, a driving us to, to accusation. You know, Jesus must not be as good or as powerful as I thought he was. Maybe he's not worthy of being my Messiah. You have the disciples here like, Jesus, do you not care that we are perishing? Like their fears have told them a story. And the story is you're going to die on this water, and this man that you've been following doesn't even care, not even enough to wake up. So for us, what's the narrative that our fears are telling us about Jesus? What's the narrative that fear is telling me about my life? What's the narrative that, that fear is telling me about my kids or about my marriage or about my hopes or dreams for a family or, or about my financial security and freedom or about my significance as a human being? Like, what are my fears? What's the story that I'm being told? What is it, like, that thing that makes me feel finite, that thing that makes me feel vulnerable, that thing that makes me concerned about my future or the future of those that I love, it's telling me something, and that's that, it's, that life is out of control, and if I don't do something, 
Life will continue to be out of control. And if there's nothing that I can do, then that means that the one in control doesn't care about me. And when we believe those stories, it's telling us something about Jesus. And we accuse Jesus. Whether we say it out loud or not, when we believe the story that our fears are telling, we're accusing Jesus of not caring about us. That's the impulse of our fears. We listen to the story they tell, and then we lash out at Jesus. And now, Jesus confronts the fears of his followers here in verses 39 and 40. So we have the context of our fears, and we have the impulse from our fears, and then we have Jesus confronting the fears of his followers. And so Jesus awoke, it says in verse 39, and he rebuked the wind and said to the sea, peace, be still, and the winds ceased, and there was a great calm. And then Jesus said to them, why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? So here we have Jesus with a strong rebuke, he calms a storm, and with a gentle rebuke, he pierces the hearts of his followers. The strong rebuke, the storm stops, but then he looks at his followers and gently rebukes them. Why are you so afraid? You still know faith. As we think about this, it's Jesus lovingly confronting our fears because our fears are telling us those lies and Jesus doesn't want us to believe those lies. He wants us to find rest and rest comes from believing Jesus and resting in him. And so Jesus confronts our fears. He confronts our belief of the fears. You notice that Jesus looks right at his disciples. He says, why are you so afraid? Have you no faith? Like, do you realize like, the disciples didn't suddenly become safe because Jesus calmed the storm? They just became aware that they were safe. They were no less safe when the winds stopped. But they became aware of how safe they were. And so Jesus confronts us. And we wish that he would just change the context in which we experience fear, but really he's trying to address us, the fearful ones, saying, why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? Because it comes down to, what do we believe? I mean, it comes down to a, a question of fear or faith. Like, that's the question that, that's facing us. What do I believe? What do I trust? And that's how Jesus, this piercing question that the Jesus Storybook Bible says, do you believe your fears instead of me? Like Jesus asks us the same thing. Do you believe your fears instead of me? So he confronts our fears and his disciples' fears. And what we want is, ideally what we want is for Jesus to change our context like we talked about, because we want to live in a context that warrants us being at rest. Like we want to follow Jesus and have all the money we could possibly need the security that we want, the happy family that we want, the Thanksgiving experience that we want, uh, the Christmas that we want, the Iron Bowl that we want, and everything else in between. Like we want a context in which we feel at rest. But what Jesus is calling us to is a faith that leads to rest no matter the context. Because if we have a, a, a context that we feel warrants rest, then we need no faith to experience rest. Because our context tells us you have nothing to fear. Jesus wants us to look at him and say, no matter the context, you have nothing to fear. And so we, oftentimes what we do, I've shared this with you before, and I'm sure I will multiple times again, but a lot of times we take our context and we interpret God through our context. Like you can think of like our context, whatever's going on in my life, I'm gonna look through that and I'm gonna figure out what God's heart is like. I'm gonna look through the lens of my context and that's gonna tell me something about God's heart. But what God wants us to do is he wants us to say, hey, I want you to look through the lens of my heart 
at your context. Look at your life and interpret it through the fact that I love you, which means this is no less hard, but you're not alone, and I care for you. Are we letting our context tell us how good or not good God is, or are we letting the heart of God, demonstrated in the person of Jesus, tell us how good he is, how much he cares us, cares for us, and what that means about the security we have right now in the midst of whatever is churning up our fears? So for you and for me, as we think about this morning, like what are you believing instead of believing Jesus? What has Jesus told us and shown us and demonstrated to us in the gospel that we're not believing and instead we're believing our fears? Like, do I believe that Jesus doesn't care as much about my kids as I do? Do I believe that he just doesn't care as much as I do? I mean, do I believe that Jesus doesn't care as much about my marriage or about my security? Do I believe that Jesus doesn't care as much as much about our nation as I do? Do I believe that Jesus doesn't care as much about unborn babies as I do? Do I believe that Jesus doesn't care as much about me or you having a meaningful life as we do? Do we think that we care more than Jesus? Because if we think that we care more than Jesus, then we're believing our fears and we're doubting the one who cares for us. So what are we believing? Because Jesus is saying to us, why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? Do you believe your fears instead of me? That's the question he's pressing to us. And he means for it to be uncomfortable. I mean, Jesus didn't say that to his disciples because he was trying to, you know, to softball or soft pedal them. Like, no, like I calmed, I calmed the storm so you'll pay attention to what I'm about to say, and that is, why are you so afraid? So in a lull, which you have this morning, which I have this morning, Hopefully you walked in here and you don't feel the presence or at least the oppression of your fears like you did before. And in that calm moment, Jesus asks us, why are you so afraid? Because he wants us to have faith that leads us into a deep rest. And then the fourth thing I want us to consider this morning is, is how, how we overcome these fears. And it's very simply stated, we overcome our fears by grasping more and more the reality of who Jesus is. That's what happens to his disciples. In verse 41, his disciples were filled with a great fear, and they said to one another, Who then is this, that even the wind and the sea obey him? This is interesting sort of a moment in the life of the disciples where they cried out to Jesus, like, Jesus, don't you care about us? And then Jesus demonstrates how much he cares for us, and they're like, oh my goodness, look what he can do. Look who he is. They suddenly are, have a new layer of understanding they're grasping a little bit more of who Jesus is, and it's reshaping their fears. It's, well, you could say reshaping, but it's actually giving them a good and godly fear as opposed to fear that's a liar. And so they're beginning to grow in their trust of Jesus. But it, we'll, we'll see that it doesn't stop being a battle. Like trusting Jesus instead of the stories that your fears are telling you is not easy. If it were, Jesus would not be confronting his disciples, and we wouldn't then a few chapters later in Matthew, as we go through the narrative, we won't see it in Mark, but in Matthew, remember when Peter sees Jesus, there's another storm, and he sees Jesus walking to them on the water and says, you know, Jesus, if that's you, call me out to you. And so Jesus does, and Peter steps out, and then he sees the storm again, and he starts to sink. Like, we're going to continue to struggle. Like, fighting to not believe the stories, the narrative, the lies that our fears tell us will be a battle that you and I are engaged in until Jesus comes back or we go to be with him but he's calling us into that battle. 
to fight against those fears. And what he wants us to do is to keep looking at him. And the way that we keep looking at him is we remind ourselves of the good news of the gospel. We cry out to him in prayer. We reflect on the things he's already done for us. Like it's just meditating and prayer and reading the gospel and talking about what Jesus is actively doing in our life right now. We grasp more and more how much he cares for us. And we're not perishing because he cares for us. Uh, As you think about your own story this morning, I want you to remember that Jesus is active. And if you're a follower of Jesus, he is active in your story, which means you should remember what he's done for you and you should celebrate it. Um, And all the while, you should remember and celebrate what he's already done for you on the cross. Like what he's done ultimately for you should give you great confidence. And what he's currently doing for you should give you great comfort. Like Jesus is with you in the midst of whatever you're going through right now. And he cares so much about you that he came to give his life for you, which means he cares about ultimately what you need, but also temporally and proximately what you need. What you need right now, Jesus cares about. What you're experiencing right now, Jesus cares about. What you need forever, Jesus cared about, and he took care of already. He's already accomplished it. And so as we are, we're going to approach the table here in just a few minutes, but I want to leave you with this thought, and that's that in your life, like you have real fear. And your fears are lying to you every day. Every day. And so in this season, I just want you to think about your life, not this holiday season, but in this chapter of your life, what are you afraid of? Because it's telling you a story. I know as a a parent of young children, my fears about the future for my kids and the current uh, life of my children tells me all kinds of lies. For some of you, it's your grandkids. For some of you, it's what your experience has been like in your freshman year thus far. For some of you, it may be where you are three years from retirement and what your financial account looks like. Like Your fears are telling you something. What are you afraid of? What makes you feel vulnerable and unsettled? What are the lies it's telling you that you've already started to believe? And then as you come to the table, I want you to see afresh how much Jesus cares for you. His disciples cried out to him, do you not care that we are perishing? And I love the way the King James Version says, John 3, 16, that for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Jesus perished so that we never will, which means whatever the lie is that your fear is telling you, Jesus is calling you to a place of rest and trust that that story isn't true, but this one is. Let me pray for you. Father, thanks so much for this time that we have to spend together this morning. We thank you for the opportunity to gather as your children around your word and then also around the table. Uh, We do confess to you that there's a lot of things going on in our lives that make us afraid. And we're not proud of it, but oftentimes we don't know what to do about it. Uh, We ask that you will help us to see our fears for what they are, liars. Show us where we're believing things that are lies about who you are and how much you love us. Give us repentance in our hearts and confidence in your love.